We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed i do think that this episode was a stain on buffon he was wrong he should just come out and say i was wrong and, and i don't think anybody begrudges him a moment of just losing his mind and emotion and passion we don't we don't want that, that to go away it's not an excuse for what he did i just thought it was a little bit much Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we will be talking about how and when the laws of the game are applied or should be applied. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment. We'll also have our World Cup Date segment and so much more. But as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant, a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. How are you, David? I am good. The jersey of choice today is a Ronaldinho Fluminense jersey. There's actually a story behind this. Are you going to tell it or are you just yes. going to lay that out there? You did a podcast for Fox before this one, correct? The Mutant something? Yes, like? I did. Yes. <laughs> And your sidekick was a young man named Max Odenheimer, yes. who has since moved on. He works in the front office of LAFC, but he was also briefly my assistant at Fox. I was something of a mentor to him, and he was so appreciative of my help that he bought me this jersey as a Christmas gift. Now, truth be told, this is actually a terrible gift. Uh, I'm sure he figured uh, Fluminense is my favorite team, Ronaldinho one of my favorite players, but uh, Ronaldinho had an awful time at this club. He played poorly, was unprofessional. He had his contract rescinded, so a bit of a misfire by Max, but he meant well. So I still wear it. He also seems to have bought you a extra small, and and I will say he never mentioned you once the entire time that I worked with him. But uh, it's it's slimming. Olive is slimming on you. For those that can't see it, is a olive colored jersey here. You know, I I came right from the airport, Mossy, because I spent the weekend in Atlanta doing the uh, Atlanta NYCFC game. It was my first time in the new stadium there, and it is something to behold, my friend. It 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 as I said on air, it warmed the cockles of my redheaded heart for an old guy like me to see that place packed. It was loud. It was vibrant. It is, it is amazing. I recommend if you are in Atlanta and Atlanta uh, United is playing, find a way to get to this new stadium because you will be in awe, whether you like soccer or not. But if you like soccer, it'll be even that much better. And it will, it will, it will give you pause, but it will give you uh, hope and belief that this game is heading in the right direction. So that's as, as ringing as an endorsement as I possibly can give. All right, should we get this, uh, this thing started here, Mossy? Let's like do this it. candle? All right. Off we go. As always, each and every week, we kick the pod off with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it is time for my State of the Union, and this is what I have to say about soccer as it relates to the United States. 
The world saw Italy and Juventus goalkeeping legend Gianluigi Buffon red carded for verbally and physically abusing the referee after the ref whistled a 93rd minute penalty that saw Real Madrid go through against Juventus in Champions League. It was a foul. It was a penalty. It was a red card. Now there are those that disagree, but you're letting your heart override your mind and there are much better hills to die on. Yes, it's disingenuous to argue that the who, when, and where of an incident doesn't impact a referee's decision. We know that despite the laws, all fouls are not created equally, and calls are often influenced by the player, the time, and the location. But leniency or benevolence from a referee is a gift, not a right. As fans, we often talk about how hard referees have it. We say things like, we can't forget that refs are human. But the second the referee enforces the law in a way that we may disagree with, Suddenly, he or she becomes non-human, and the bashing begins. Now, this is a time-honored tradition that happens in all sports and leagues, including the NFL and the NBA and many others. Referees accept this. Some even revel in it. It comes with a job. But it shouldn't be the norm, and players do it at their own risk. So, they shouldn't be surprised if and when they're punished. In soccer and in life, laws aren't always enforced, but they apply equally to everyone, even legends. And that, ladies and gentlemen, has been my State of the Union. All right, David Mossy, thoughts on uh, the things that I just said? Well, I think you had to call that penalty when a player is two feet away from the goal and gets clattered over from behind. That would have been stretching the swallow the whistle philosophy too far. And if you bump the referee, you're gone. I don't care who you are. Cristiano Ronaldo got sent off from Real Madrid's first game this season against Barcelona in the Spanish Super Cup for doing the same thing. So there's no leniency there. But I do think there's this other debate that sprang up from this episode. I'm very comfortable with the fact that there are unwritten rules. A penalty is technically just a foul that occurred inside the box, but no referee applies the same criteria to giving a penalty that he does a foul in the middle of the field. And a referee is more reluctant to book a guy when he knows he's already on a yellow and he'd be sending him off as opposed to when he's not on a yellow. And I do believe in the swallow the whistle philosophy to a certain degree. I don't think you want games decided at the end by a ticky-tack soft penalty. But there are people that argue, no, that the letter of the law, a foul is a foul, a red is a red, the who, what, where doesn't matter. And I know that sounds like the smart side of the debate, but it's not realistic. Referees are human beings. They're not robots. This isn't Westworld. Uh, The subconscious (laughs) enters into it. And so although I think it was a penalty, I'm actually on the side of the people that were arguing against the penalty as to this larger debate that the situation should matter in in terms of what a referee's call is. Well, I, I, I definitely agree that it matters. And if you talk to referees, they will tell you the exact same thing. The referees aren't dogmatic and they're not, they're, they're not, they're not going to tell you, oh no, it's by the letter of law. They fully admit, and not only admit, but they embrace it. They understand that it is part of their job to be doing this in a human way. And therefore you are influenced by your surroundings and your moment. That's, that's, all, fine. that's all fine and well. What I was really interested, and, and really this is ultimately a compliment to Buffon, of how great he is and the legend that he is because this reverence and the level of reverence for him and the justification and the support that he got by many, and yes, many uh, many were Juventus fans, Italian fans, just fans of seeing this, this, this guy do what he does on the field, whether it's the way he sings the national anthem, whether it's the incredible things that he's done, whether it's the fact that the sentimental side of this is a guy who's such a legend, but he has never won Champions League, although he's a, he's a World Cup winner, all of that... Uh, the the justification for it was amazing and is an ultimate tribute to him, but it's wrong. It's misguided. And to make matters worse, 
he compounded it after about talking, talking in, in a way that was beyond the pale about the referee and that, that he didn't understand the emotion. And then, and then he went on found a whole diatribe of all sorts of things about this referee and what he should be doing. And that to me, I think, look, he's going he's gonna to continue to be a legend. That's not a problem. But I do think that this episode was a stain on Buffon. He was wrong. He should just come out and say, I was wrong. I was, and, and I don't think anybody begrudges him a moment of just losing his mind and emotion and passion. We don't, we don't want that, that to go away. It's not an excuse for what he did. But I think everybody understands that in that moment, that particular moment, Sometimes you you just lose you lose it and you see and you see red. But then to compound it after with all the interviews and all the words and all the deflammatory type of uh, type of accusations about this individual, I just I just thought it was a little bit much. And for a guy that a lot of people not not just love as a player, but love the grace and the the nobility almost of for him to do that, I just think it was so out of character for him. And, you know, he'll get a pass and this will, this will go on. But as I said in the State of the Union, there are much, much better hills to die on than this one. And in your State of the Union last week, you talked about how soccer fans sometimes take things too far. Michael Oliver and his wife are apparently getting death threats now, which is ridiculous. And anybody doing that needs to knock that off because, I mean, this is not life and death stuff. People calm down. But, uh, you know, the, the one thing you, you, you left out in terms of what might have affected uh, people's reactions to this is, let's be honest, Real Madrid are yes. the Yankees. They are the New England Patriots. People are sick of them winning. I think most neutrals were rooting for Juventus. And they're annoyed at this notion that Real Madrid always get the calls. The, the star players, the glamour teams get the calls. And so I wanted to ask you, when you played for the U.S., when you faced the Brazils and Germanys, did you go into those games knowing those teams were going to get the calls and that was just something you were going to have to overcome? A hundred percent. And you're, you're naive if you don't go into it, especially as an American player. Uh, you know that you are going to be looked at in a different way and that other bigger teams and more famous teams and certainly more famous names are going to be get, uh, given the benefit of the doubt. I calculated that into everything everything that I did. I understood it. I didn't complain about it. I knew what fair or not, it has nothing to do with it. Soccer uh, isn't fair and life isn't fair. Get, you have to get over it. So yeah, I knew exactly that that was going to happen at, di- at, at different times. And I just, it was... It was calculated into how I approached every single game and every, t- and every uh, different situation. If I'm going up against a legend and that legend falls down, whether I touched him or not sometimes isn't going to matter in the eyes of that, uh, of that individual refing. And Zidane, in his press conference this past week, was as angry as anyone has ever seen him pushing back against this notion that Real Madrid get all the calls and they get favoritism. So you could tell it's something that's irking Real Madrid, too, that there's this perception out there that they always get the benefit of the doubt from the referees. So, But it, but it also had to do with the way the game had gone and this second leg and the, the thought that there was a, a miracle. We were on the verge of seeing a possible comeback and miracle. And Real Madrid did not play well. And that they needed that, I think that contributes to the way that people, uh, the way the way that people reacted to this in that last minute moment. Is that's what they needed. And it was such a great game. Even if you didn't have a rooting interest, you just wanted extra time. You wanted thirty more minutes of this, and it, it, you got kind of spoiled. So that also factored into the whole thing. And from a soccer perspective, if this is one of the great players of the game, I'm talking about Buffon. Yeah. He, he cheated us. He cheated himself. He let himself and his team down because look. Cristiano stepped up and he and he laced it in the upper ninety. But 
I wanted to see Buffon stand on that. <laughs> and that that's why he is there, because of the goalkeeper that he is, because he gives you that chance that he's going to come up with something spectacular. And because he couldn't control his emotions, he cheated us. As I said, he cheated himself, and we are deprived of what could have been. Who knows? Maybe he screams and yells a little bit, and he would be afforded that as the captain and because of who he is. But then he gets on that line, and maybe he pulls off a save for the ages, and in doing so uh, just sends what was already a legendary status into, into the, the stratosphere. But no, he couldn't, he couldn't control himself in a, a, such a crucial moment. And that to me was disappointing. I was, I was sad about that. While a part of me understood, a part of me said, no, if, if you are this legend, then you have to be able to be thinking three steps ahead and saying, I can't let this emotion get away with me and therefore hurt myself and hurt my team, which is ultimately what he did. Sure, it was comforting, though, as he was walking off the field. Chesney told him, I got this. I got this. <laughs> but uh, no, seriously, they, they were fortunate they had two subs left that they were able to bring in a goalkeeper because oftentimes at that point of the game, you've already used your three subs. It would have had to have been Gonzalo Higuain defending that penalty. Uh, but that's what Allegra was frustrated about the most. He said afterwards, if that play doesn't happen, we go to extra time. We felt like we had the advantage there because because we had two subs left, the away goal rule in our favor in extra time. So uh, he was really annoyed. He felt like that was setting up nicely for Juventus in extra time. And, and take, take away the people that are that are obviously biased. I mean, the Juventus fans, Italy fans, the, the people that did come out on the side of, no, you can't call that. Do you think it's because they don't understand what we're talking about, about how rules are not all created equally and, and the, the time and the place and the person does affect it. Do you think that they're, they're that naive uh, and they just don't understand that that's, that that's it? Or they just said, because of what was happening, you, you needed to make a decision in that moment relative to everything that had happened. No, in the no, game. no. I think m- most letter of the law people are on the side that it was a penalty, it was a red card. I think it's the people on the other side, but they're just stretching it too far. I mean, if it's a blatant penalty, you got to call it. And if a guy bumps a referee, you got to call it. Maybe if he just yelled at him and said some unnice things, Michael Oliver could have had some rabbit ears there, you know, in, in, in that situation. But, in, in st- but when you bump a guy to me, you bump a referee, you, you take any sort of gray area. Yeah, out I, of think it. The, I think the bump put it over for, for a lot of people. Well, look, it was still, as you said, a wonderful game and a huge talking point for people. I mean, my father, who doesn't watch uh, a lot of soccer, uh, he sent me he sent me an email the day after, and he was at, we were talking about something else. And then the last line of it was, was it a red? And we hadn't discussed it. I had never even you know, even broached the subject of, uh, of it. So it it translated to a lot of different people. It passed the mom test. A yes. lot of people say, you know, a story is big in sports when it exactly. passes the mom test. Exactly. <laughs> so we will continue to talk about it, and it's uh, and it's amazing. And referees, as we as we get to this uh, summer, are going to be a lot of the talk for the World Cup with video review coming in VAR, and there are going to be some calls going forward that we will be debating. I'm sure, uh, good, bad, and probably ugly. At a certain point. So here we go. All right, Mossy, moving on. Mossy makes the case. Yes, you know it. It is time for Mossy makes the case. All right, David Mossy, what are you going to argue about this week? Alexi, my case is actually something you said on television last week that I largely agreed with, so I thought it'd be interesting to bring it up here. It's this notion that in the era of the Super Club, league titles have been diminished, and ultimately you're judged by what you do in the Champions League. 
there's a columnist in Madrid, Alfredo Relano, who said a few years ago that the most depressing game of any Real Madrid season is that first league game after getting knocked out of the Champions League. Now, Real Madrid haven't had to worry about that recently, but Barcelona yeah. have. Yep. And you saw that again this weekend. They played Valencia at home. This was first against third in La Liga, with Barcelona seven rounds away from completing the first unbeaten La Liga campaign in 86 years. And yet there was this flat, disinterested vibe in the crowd to the point that after Barcelona won 2 one, an exasperated Luis Suarez complained. He said, I don't understand. It's like winning La Liga means nothing now. So even the players are feeling that frustration. PSG clinched the Liga title this weekend. Nobody cared. Their season effectively ended when they lost to Real Madrid. They still had three trophies to play for, but every game since then has felt like playing out the string. Barcelona's, uh, I'm sorry, Bayern Munich's celebrations were, were pretty muted. Juventus's celebrations are going to be pretty muted. Manchester City might be the one exception. We can get into that. But I think by and large, I agree with you. It's an interesting direction the game is moving in. And I wonder, does it bother you? Did you think, it, it, would you rather these teams winning league titles meant more? I mean, are, are you concerned? that we're moving in this direction? I, I don't care. No, I, I, While I can respect it when a team just blows everybody else away, I, I, I don't care. I don't, I, the, it's so funny watching people try to celebrate, and you mentioned Man City. No. I mean, I, look, what, what it's done is, hist- what, what Pep has done and that team has done is historic, and the way that they have gone about it is to be applauded. But this is the world we live in with these super clubs that spend all of this money that beat up for most of the year on the rest of the league. The separation is dramatic. In England, to be fair to England, it's not as dramatic. So it's either a one uh, or a two or in England, it's a four horse race, even though, Man- and that's why Man City has gotten the accolades they have. But still, it's such a come down for when, when, they, when they go out. And that's why people talk about this 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 super league, this potential super league going forward. Because, look, I know I, I am a, a true believer when it comes to Major League Soccer. I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. It's it's La Cosa Nostra. It's something that I love. But part of the reason why I love it is because of this parity that it has, and it's manufactured. I get it because of the salary cap restrictions and the and the rules and regulation. They want that. I like a league where I can't predict each and every time when it starts. These are going to be the teams that finish at the top. These are probably going to be the teams that finish at the bottom. These are the teams that are just going to sit in the middle. And yet, for most of the leagues over there, that's what it is. And it gives you a false sense of security if you are a player or a team. And I, I, I just I don't understand it. It's not interesting to me. It's not entertaining to me when Bayern Munich is beating up on everybody. It's not interesting or entertaining to me when Real Madrid and Barcelona are beating up on it. The, the, the thing that brings, that makes me interested in those teams is Messi and Cristiano. And the, and, and the way that Barcelona has played in the past and still does to a certain extent, because that fundamentally ch- ch- changed the way we think about the game. But in general, from a competitive standpoint, it's, it's boring. Yeah, I think City are heading in that direction where they're going to become a club that only cares about the Champions League. I don't think they were quite there yet this season. They hadn't won the Premier League since 2014. They haven't won it enough times yet to be bored of winning it. And I think it was a big deal for Pep to conquer England the same way he had Spain or Germany. So although they're disappointed about what happened in the Champions League, I don't think it totally taints what they did in the Premier League. They'll take a lot of juice out of that. But they're heading towards being like a PSG that only cares about what they do in Europe. And I will say this trend is very rough on managers because... 
as we've talked about, the Champions League is very unforgiving. You're in there with other great teams, and one bad day can sink you. So a guy like Thomas Tuchel, who's going to take over at PSG, uh, you know, he fancies himself this tactical genius, but I hope he knows what he's getting himself into because nobody cares about any of that. You're not going to get any credit no. for anything you do domestically. You're going to be in the knockout stages of the Champions League, run into a Real Madrid or Barcelona, and you're going to be judged by whether you win that game or not. And you could lose a close game to one of those teams because of a deflection, an individual mistake, a moment of brilliance by Messi or Ronaldo, and that's it. You're a failure, and he's got a two-year deal. He's got two seasons to do something special in the Champions League. Otherwise, he's going to be gone, which is what happened with Unai Emery. So it's rough on these managers, but it's the reality. But, but this, this is our reaction to it. The, the reality from a business perspective, it's still incredibly popular. It's still making gazillions of, uh, of dollars out there, these leagues. So because it's well within their ability to change this, it's, it's very easily done. If you want to put restrictions in the league and salary caps and, and, and so forth, you can certainly do that. But it's not always in the best interests of certain teams. And right now, there doesn't seem to be the incentive uh, and the desire from any of these leagues that we're talking about that are, that are so predictable to make any changes. And so if, if they want to do it, they can do it. But I, don't, I just don't see it happening anytime soon. And I hate to keep praising you, but this is another good point you made on TV last week. Barcelona have it the worst out of anybody because they have to live with the specter now of Real Madrid winning the Champions League again. Plus, Real Madrid might be the team to go in there in a couple of weeks and spoil their unbeaten La Liga campaign. Francis Silva might not even show her face in public anymore <laughs> if that happens. Yeah, I mean, it is, it, it, you know that's going to happen. And Barcelona is going to sit up there, and, and they're even for them because they're Barcelona. Do you get excited about raising that trophy? Do you? Do you? There, there's the La Liga trophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost be. a sheepish type of celebration. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a, oh, we 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 did this, and and as I said, it it's made worse because of the fact of who is is doing well. Real Madrid just kind of said, forget La Liga, we won't even care. It's all yours. Fill your boots, uh, knock yourself out, and we're just going to go and win Champions League, which will overshadow everything and anything that Barcelona does. Although we're taping this on a Monday. Uh, I'm going to say, I said this before in the pod, I'll say it again. Uh, tomorrow, Barcelona away to Celta Vigo. I think that might be the game that gets them. I think it's a tricky game. But if not, then Real Madrid go in there in a couple of weeks and that would be amazing if they're the ones that spoils it. But so let's end on this. You mentioned the Super League. My dad is very much in favor of this. He thinks all these big clubs should break off and form their own league. How would you feel if that happened? I would love that. I would love that because for... When is the only time? I was saying this the other day. If you play for one of these super clubs, okay, the reality is that you could probably count on one hand the games where you're actually playing against equal or better opposition. I mean, you look at Bayern Munich's road to this uh, to this semifinal right now. They haven't played anybody since November when they played PSG home in a way, and they they got crushed away. They made the coaching change and, and, and all that kind of stuff, but. That that shouldn't be the case. If I'm if I'm a fan of a team, if I'm paying money to see a team play, I want to be, see them in competitive environments week after week after week. And it's few and far between for some of these. And it's getting worse and worse and worse as the years go on. So I would I would love to see. It. Yeah, I would I would pay to see that. We'd call it a super league. We'd call it super duper league. I mean, you just add super to anything and it makes it that much more important. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I hope it happens. Do you want to see it happen? Yes. And your dad does too. Well. It- if my dad wants it, then I want it. Well, that's, that's reason enough. All right, well, we will see if the Super League that we are dreaming and hoping of ever exists and we can actually judge these teams on a consistent week-to-week basis against equal or better opposition. All right, Mossy, thank you for making your case this week. Moving on. Ask Alexi. 
Yep, it's time for Ask Alexi, that segment of the show where we respond to all your questions with the hashtag Ask Alexi. You can send them to us on Twitter, on Facebook, anywhere out there when it comes to a social media platform. And if you are lucky enough, my friend David Mossy will read your question on air as he is about to do. What do the people want to know this week, David? All right, first up, at Aaron... Farkuhar96, I apologize if I butchered that last name. If we win the joint bid, should we focus on winning the World Cup in 2026 and use Qatar as a way to blood younger players in preparation for it? Seemingly, we'd have our best chance on home soil with still young but experienced players. This is obviously a Canadian wondering about how Canada should have... No, obviously it's a U.S. Well, people talk about winning the, the, the World Cup. And you know, we were talking off air with young Alex over here about the fact that, and he, and he rightfully told us, all teams go to the World Cup to win it. I, I, it always used to amaze me when we, I was asked this question about what are your goals? Well, we're going to win the World Cup. Now, does history say that you're going to? Not necessarily. Are the odds against you? Yes. But if you're there, you might as well go to win it. I think we should always be going to a World Cup to win it. Now, is there an evolution and is there a blooding of players? Yes. I think we are at this moment, and as we've talked about time and time again on this show, this is, I think, going to be looked back as, while a painful moment, one that was seminal in that changes were made and a new generation and a core of players were identified, cultivated, fostered, and matured that ultimately led us back to the promised land and not just to the promised land of the the, the, uh, the World Cup, but where we are successful and we are better. Now, it's not a reason not to make the World Cup, but as long as it's happened, maybe this is this silver lining type of scenario. So, yes, 2026, I think, will be, no matter what, viewed as as this moment, as it should be. The, World, the Men's World Cup coming back to the U.S. as part of a joint bid with Mexico and Canada for the first time since 1994 and what we are on and off the field. But I think... Yes, you start making a team right now, but it doesn't mean in any, in, in any sense that 2022 isn't in play. I think you can certainly cultivate a group of young players that can do things in 2022 in Qatar. But I don't think that you look at Qatar as a throwaway type of tournament. I don't think we can afford to do that at all. You take your best possible team. Yes, you have an eye to 2026, but I think in the next four years, we can certainly have a whole new group of players, even if you're throwing out everybody. You can have a whole new group of players that can do some wonderful things in 2022 and then use that experience in 2022 for 2026. But as far as winning the World Cup for the U.S., don't tell me that I can't win the 2022 World Cup. If you're going to the 2022 World Cup, regardless of who goes, I expect you to go to there to win it. And 2026, let's win them both. At HRU star, what's your take on biobanding from the U.S. soccer? Why don't you explain what that Ooh, is? Biobanding. I had to look this up the other day. So there is a new initiative uh, out from the United States Soccer Federation where, and, and I'm look, I know that this is going to be top level type of stuff. We're not going to get into the weeds here, and I'm sure there's a bunch of bio nerds out there that are going to scream and yell at me and say, "Oh, it's so much more. It's nuanced and layered." Well, sorry, I'm not going to do that. All right. So anyway, basically what it is is. As you know, when you're growing up and playing sports, the way traditionally we have done it is we separate into age groups. That's just easy, and it's worked for many, many years. What they're doing with this is they're saying, okay, that's all fine and well, but the problems that come up are, and as anybody that's ever played sports uh, as a kid knows, kids mature at different rates and levels. So you got really fast Got kids, really strong kids, kids that are taller, kids that are smaller. Uh, and a lot of this obviously happens before, before uh, puberty, which is a 
the great equaler when it comes along, but you never know when it's going to come along. So basically, they are going to group kids based on their physical maturity as opposed to their actual age. Now, for me, I look at this as, hey, we're trying something different. We're trying something new. And I've talked a lot about over the past six months with the, with the, uh, the failure to make the World Cup of the men's team, with the new president, and a real desire for some, some concrete change about doing some stuff that hasn't been done before. Not just to do it, but things that you believe in. They obviously believe in this. So I, I, I look at it and I say, all right, what, could, what, are, the, what are the effects Positive and negative, because I think there are some positives to this, but I also think we have to, in doing it, recognize and accept the fact that there are going to be some negatives. And are they, is it enough positive that outweighs the negative? The positive is, look, as, as anybody that's ever played against somebody that's bigger, taller, faster, it's difficult. And you can't do some of the things that you want to do. At times, from a mental standpoint, it, it eats away and you can get very negative, and you can start doubting yourself. So if you are playing with all kids that are relatively the same speed and size uh, that, that you are, it's a better approximation, and I think it encourages players to do more. I think it encourages a positive self-view, and I think it encourages uh, competition. The problem is, on the other side, is it can also uh, give you a false sense of security, and it can... And it can, at times, maybe also give you bad habits because it might work in that type of scenario. But when in the real life, both from a sports sporting perspective and just in regular life, when people are smarter, faster, stronger, uh, more able, uh, more technical ability, you're going you're gonna to get found out very quickly. So I guess the real question is, when does it stop and when do you change? And when do you say, all right, this little cocoon that you have been in that we know has has enabled you to blossom and has given you the best comfort zone to, to be the best player that you can be, when do you stop that and say, hey, welcome to the real world? And the real world, it's not fair. It's not equal. There's always somebody that's bigger, that's stronger. And you got to be able to adapt. And if you, if you prolong that moment when somebody has to adapt, are you doing them a disservice? These are all questions that I guess are going to be answered. But in general, I like it because it's something new, it's something different, and we need new, fresh, different thoughts in the way that we approach our soccer. Do you like it, Mossy? I do. <laughs> That's it? That's all you got from me? I do? Oh, my goodness. All right. I know there's people out there that don't like it. I think, there's, I think there'll be people out there that say, this is, this is ridiculous. We're coddling kids. It's, it's just a furthering of this generation that has been given everything and coddled and trophies for everyone and uh, don't say anything bad and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? I, I think that this is an interesting way to go, and I'll be really interested to see what the results, uh, the results are. Because there are players that are, are just are just decimated early on in their existence by the fact that they are just not in an environment that enables them to express themselves. And I would, I would love to see if there are, are ways to provide them those ty- a, 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 nurt- a more nurturing environment. Maybe some of those players aren't lost to the fact that they are just trampled. They are literally trampled by players that are bigger, stronger, faster. At the name is soccer. Toronto FC versus Chivas, who wins? He's obviously referring to the CCL final, first leg in Toronto, second leg in Mexico. How do you see this one? Mossy, I'm telling you right here. If a Major League Soccer team, and the only one that's involved, is Toronto Toronto FC, if Toronto FC is not the champions of CONCACAF after this home and away leg, it will be 
Toronto FC's fault. They will only have themselves to blame. Because I tell you what, and uh, New York Red Bulls, they had no business losing to Chivas. Chivas is not a good team. No, Chivas, it's, it's not that Chivas isn't a good team. They're a bad team. Chivas is a bad team. The New York Red Bulls were twice the team. And that they lost is a huge, huge problem and a huge black eye uh, and a stain on that organization. They had no business losing against Chivas. And so now, if I'm telling you that the New York Red Bulls are better than Chivas and way better than Chivas, then you bet your bottom dollar that Toronto FC is better. They should take this no problem. They have better individual players. They are a better team. They're more organized. I think they're more dangerous. I think they're more confident. I'm telling you right here that when this is over, Toronto FC, we should stand up and applaud what they have done over the last couple of years, and they will be representing Canada. They will be representing Major League Soccer, the American players that populate that team, much more so, by the way, than a lot of other MLS teams, we can celebrate from an American perspective. And I, I think it's a fait accompli. Now, they got to do the work, and Chivas is just going to roll over for them, but your, your safe money right now is on Toronto FC to come out on top. That is it. All right. Thank you once again, David Mossy. Those were our Ask Alexi questions. As I said, you can get to us uh, on Twitter and Facebook and all the different social play, uh, social media out there with that Ask Alexi hashtag. Uh, don't forget to do that. And David may read your questions in a future episode of the State of the Union podcast. All right. We're coming down the home stretch here. Moving on. World Cup Update. Okay, it's time for our World Cup date, where we uh, focus in on one of the stories that uh, certainly we'll be talking about leading up to the World Cup in Russia this summer. We are a little over eight weeks, if you can believe it, from the World Cup uh, this summer in Russia. All right, what is our topic today for our World Cup date, Masi? Well, Zlatan Ibrahimovic making news this weekend, first with a tweet that seemed to intimate that he very much wants to play in this World Cup. Then apparently he posted a follow-up video on this betting website that he's affiliated with that seemed to walk it back, and the whole thing was just a big joke. So who knows? And, and by the way, the fact that he's affiliated with this betting website is potentially an issue with FIFA. But let's put that aside. Sure. Let's assume if he wants to play, he'd be eligible. Uh, and let's say he wants to play. Uh, so let's discuss the f- footballing aspect of all this. Obviously, it would be great for us at Fox, mm-hmm. big star, big personality, uh, affiliated with MLS now. And I think if you're Sweden manager Jan Andersson, you'd love to have him because as he's shown, he does have a flair for the dramatic. He's still capable of having a moment. They're in a tough group with Germany, Mexico, and South Korea. And one Zlatan moment could be the difference between advancing or not. If you're 1-1 against Mexico in the 70th minute, would you rather bring on Zlatan or John Guidetti? But some people, including Taylor Twelman, have raised the question, would Sweden even want him? And I think there's at least some merit to that conversation. They've played without him for two years. They've established a certain identity, a certain style of play. They qualify for the World Cup without him. They beat France. They beat Italy. So what do you think? What do I think? Listen, I think he's playing with us. I think Zlatan, uh, the way that he plays with defenders uh, and opponents on the field, he is playing with us, and we are uh, being played in, in a wonderful way, uh, in, in, a, in a playful way, if you will. And, and that's not to say that, that he doesn't, that I don't think that he wants to go to the World Cup, but what he wants to do and what Sweden wants to do 
I think maybe two different things. While you say that they would want him, and, and yes, he has proven even over the last couple of weeks that not only can he score goals, but he can also play that substitute role very well and to great effect coming into games and changing games. Man, this is this is a I think a confident and a well-oiled machine in Sweden, also in a very difficult group. I, I think it's the group of death. I think that you start either adding or subtracting one or two players, and certainly players of the stature of Zlatan, and you can mess it up. You can mess up a dynamic just with one player. Believe me, I, I, know, I know, and look, everybody knows. Whether you've been in, on a team or in an office uh, or any type of group setting where you're working together, when that machine starts 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 flying and you can anticipate things and you're feeling good and you enjoy the people that you're working with because you respect them and you recognize how they can make you better and then something is dropped in it might even in in this case it's something that you are familiar with it, it can mess a lot of things up the problem is is that if you take him and he's problematic then then it's, it's you're done you're done because it will it will manifest itself on the field, and in this type of a group, you will go home and you will go home quickly right out of the group stage. If you don't take him and it doesn't go well, then he's going to be sitting there smiling and he's going to be doing the interviews, and you are going to be blamed for not for for not taking him. And it's not the same thing, but you know certainly when Jurgen didn't take Landon Donovan, it's it set himself up to be second guessed. And that's, that's something that all big coaches, when they are big names involved, are going to have to deal with. But as far as his, you know, his tweets and his Instagram things right now, I think, I think he's playing with us. And it would not surprise me in the least, as I said, that what he wants to do and what Sweden want to do are not only different things, but very, very different things. So I... I don't see it happening this summer for him. You, th- you, you think he's humming? Well, you think he's going? You know, in, in Brazil, there's a school of thought that big stars don't make for good role players, that it's an awkward dynamic. It's why Scolari didn't bring Romario in 2002. It's why Dunga didn't bring Ronaldinho in 2010. Now, I did speak to Jovan Karofsky about this this weekend, and Jovan said Zlatan's been great, great teammate. Everybody loves him. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if there'd be any chemistry issues with Sweden. We should say in the absence of Zlatan, that team is now built around Emil Forsberg, excellent playmaker for Leipzig. And their leading scorer in qualifying was Marcus Berg, who got eight goals, who's a different type of player than Zlatan. So it would be an adjustment for everybody involved yeah. if we threw Zlatan in there. I think if he wants to come, you, you, you bring him. Uh, you welcome him with open arms. But if you're playing devil's advocate, a couple more things I would throw into this conversation. Remember, a lot of people in Europe don't respect MLS. So yeah. their last reference of Zlatan playing against what they consider real competition was for Manchester United this season where he did not look good. He looked like a player that might be washed up. And then the second thing is uh, his last major tournament for them was Euro 2016. He looked terrible. He didn't score in three games. Uh, Zlatan, truth be told, has had a slightly overrated international career. A lot of European players, their goal totals are inflated because they play in these qualifying campaigns where it seems like every other game is against San Marino or the Faroe Islands. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you look at in really major tournaments and big games, and it hasn't been that great. So, uh, you know, It'd be different if it's a guy that scored like eight goals at the last Euros, and then it's like, of course, we'd want to bring him along. But, you know, so there's some questions there as well. 
Well, do you think it happens if I had to put it to oh, you like I, that? I, I can't go inside. I, I think he, when he retired from international play, he didn't think they were going to qualify for this World Cup. And now that they have, he's maybe second-guessing himself. So there is a little bit of urgency. We know how much he loves a spotlight, and there's no bigger spotlight than the World Cup. So I think he's probably like 50-50 on it. But as far as whether, if he wants to play, whether they take him, I think yes. Yeah, and, and I want to be clear. I don't think he's a, that, he's, that he is or he would be a cancer. I just think the way that he plays the the tension and the focus because this machine has been built now and is and is chugging along i just think it throws it out of whack and but can you can you afford not to take once again can you afford not to take him i i, I don't know and it should, and and keep in mind he scored again over the weekend the la galaxy went into the windy city and it was one nothing they won on the road zlatan not only scored but started and the man, the, the, the man is backing it up when it comes to the attention and the focus on him putting in goals. And if you have a guy that is scoring goals with that huge, huge profile, I think even if they don't want to bring him, there, there might be a tremendous amount of pressure to do it. And the Swedish Federation might look around and say, listen, while we might not think it's the best thing to do, and, and that, would, that would mean that Zlatan's bigger than the, the Swedish team. And that's that might just be the reality. And one last thing. Yeah. On the topic of European players padding their stats against lesser competition and having overrated their national careers, the ultimate example of that is Cristiano Ronaldo. But I'll leave that conversation <gasps> for another day How since it, that's too hot a take for today. How dare you, Mossy? But you just you just drop that off like a, that uh, might a be grenade next week's right at the end of the day. segment. All right, well, maybe, maybe we will take you up on that in uh, future segments of the World Cup date, if you will. All right, that has been our World Cup date. Uh, we will see what happens with Zlatan going forward and if we are talking about him this summer. All right, time to take it to the end here. The back three. All right, coming to the end here, and it is our back three where we talk about the biggest stories and games and moments. Mossy, what are the three things that we are talking about here as we head to the end of our pod? All right, the Champions League and Europa League semifinal draws took place this past Friday. Let's go through those first with the Champions League. It is Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, first leg in Munich, second leg in Madrid, and Liverpool-Roma, first leg liverpool second leg in Rome. Uh, let's talk Bayern-Real Madrid first. This has been an incredible rivalry through the years. They've met 24 times in the European Cup, more than any other fixture. It's 11 wins apiece, two draws. This will be the seventh time they've crossed paths in the semifinals. Now, last season, it was the quarterfinals, which Real Madrid won in very controversial fashion. Yep. We talked about it in the State of the Union today. That fed this notion that Real Madrid get all the calls. Arturo Vidal was controversially sent off. He's injured, by the way. He might miss this tie, which would be a big miss. And Cristiano Ronaldo scored a couple of goals in extra time of the second leg that were offsides. And also, to my point in the Mossy Makes the Case, Carlo Ancelotti is branded a failure because they didn't win the championship. Champions League last season where a call or two go differently, Bayern might have won the Champions League and we might be having a totally different conversation about Ancelotti's time at Bayern. Right? He'd, he'd still be there right now. So there's all of that swirling around. I think Bayern are better than they were last season. Real Madrid slightly worse. Lewandowski, remember, was injured for that tie. He missed the first leg and he only played about half of the second leg. Plus you have a highly motivated James Rodriguez. So there's a lot going on here. How uh, wait, wait, hold on. on go back to what you said. Why are Bayern better than they are this year? 
Well, than they were last year because of the Lewandowski fact. I'm saying better in terms of where they were going into a tie against Real Madrid. Remember, Lewandowski was injured last season. This time around, he he looks healthy and fresh, raring to go. And oh, oh, just because they have, just because of the players, you're not saying yeah, yes. You yes, don't yes. think this is a better team than last year in general? Eh, it's about the same, but I think Lewandowski but, being banged up last season. But versus we haven't seen him play anybody, Mossy. This is, they're finally going to actually play somebody <laughs> that is worthy of them. And this is where we find out. It's amazing. We're in the middle of April right now. This is where we're actually going to find out what this Bayern Munich team is all about. That's, that's the reality, and it goes back to the, the, the thing that you said. And I think they're going to be left wanting. I think that this is where they get found out for the team that they aren't. I know you're, you're very bullish on them right now, but I think they're going to come up against, here, against Real Madrid and they're going to think, oh, okay, this is, this, this is it. And reality is going to smack them in the face. I don't know how you say smack you in the face in German, but that's what's going to happen. I don't know that I'm bullish. I just slightly leaning Bayern right now, but I could definitely, between now and the first leg, I could definitely change my opinion on that. It's very close. Uh, Real Madrid, I, I've said all along, are my favorites to win, and so I'm sort of abandoning that if I pick Bayern. But but what about the James factor? You, uh, yeah. Not a big deal at all. No, I mean, what in in what sense? Well, that that he's playing, and then he's incredibly motivated that he's going to be fantastic in these two games because he has. A well, I only worry because he only he plays uh, well one year out of a four year cycle, and it's right before <laughs> the World Cup. So that's that's why I would be worried if I was if I was Real Madrid because he knows he's got a World Cup coming up, so he's got to get he's got to get in uh, in shape. No, I look, I think Real Madrid goes through. So it, even it, you don't think Jupp Heynckes might be the antidote to Real Madrid's UCL magic? Maybe he has. No, he no. knows. And the other side, what do we got? All right, so Liverpool Roma. The big story there: Mohamed Salah, Liverpool bought yes. from Roma last summer. Yep. And by the way, I love Monchi, who's the Roma sporting director ex Sevilla. But one mistake he made was he <clears> undersold <throat> Salah because in this current market, you see what Salah's done, and the price he went for is is almost a joke at this point. And I think he might get reminded of that over these two legs because I could see Mohamed Salah going off. I like Liverpool to go through here. Yeah. I like I I think that they they have there's there's some sort of magic there's some sort of you know dust in a positive way right now with Liverpool they are, they are flying right now. Let's uh, switch gears to Europa quickly. Okay, yeah. Great matchup there: Atletico Madrid against Arsenal in these semifinals. Uh, first leg at the Emirates, second leg in Madrid. Diego Costa, by the way, a major doubt for that first leg with a hamstring injury. How do you see this one? I see this is where all hell breaks loose from a Arsene Wenger and <laughs> Arsenal perspective in that they don't go through and they are left holding absolutely nothing. And the the level of frustration, consternation, anger is going to be the likes of which we have never seen. That's how I see it happening. And incidentally, a lot of talk about the fact that there's two American-owned teams in the Champions League semis facing each other, Liverpool, Roma. There's also two American-owned teams in the Europa League semis, Arsenal with Stan Kroenke and Marseille with Frank McCord, who's the former Dodgers owner who bought Marseille 18 months ago. He spent a lot of money to buy Payet. They bought Florian Talvan permanently. Mitroglou, Valerie Germain, Aldo Rami, Luis Gustavo, Patrice Evra, which didn't work out so well. He kicked the supporter, got his contract rescinded. But still, they've got a lot of big names there. They're very motivated to win this competition. But they're facing Salzburg, who if you follow me on Twitter, you know I'm super high on them. I love that story. Yep. They've been forced to hand over their best players to Leipzig because Red Bull have put all their eggs in that basket. And yet here they are. They have all these good young players. It's Kosovo playmaker Berisha, who have been linked with Liverpool. He's very good. Uh, so I think this is actually a really fun tie as well. Who goes through? I'm going to say Marseille and Atletico Madrid. You are? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll see what, uh, what happens with that. Okay, what else do we have here uh, going on in our back three? 
Moving on, the big match in Germany uh, this past weekend was uh, uh, Schalke against Dortmund. Schalke won 2-0. Uh, Pulisic started. McKinney came on as a sub. Uh, neither one really lit the world on fire, but uh, what did you make of all this? I watched this from my hotel room in Atlanta, so I saw our wonderful uh, coverage. What did I make of it? I thought Dortmund looked okay, average, uh, but I don't think that they were in it, and I don't think that... I think it showed that Dortmund is just just waiting for the end of the season. I think that's I think that's what it is. I, I was disappointed. I thought Dortmund was going to be better. A couple of non-Pulisic-related notes before we get to Pulisic. Okay. Uh, we have a full page of Pulisic. Yeah. Uh, Michi Batshuayi injured late yes. in this match and is out for the season now. Right. Terrible blow for them because he was going great. Uh, now he's worried about the World Cup with Belgium. We'll see about that. Secondly, Naldo, the big Brazilian at the back, scored a fantastic free kick for Schalke to make it 2-0. And I am a big fan of this guy. I said on Twitter this week, and I'll reiterate it here, I think he should go to the World Cup. There's a fourth center back spot open for Brazil, but he's not even being talked about, which is frustrating. Uh, the, the guy that Chichi's going to take is this guy named Jérôme who plays for Grêmio, who I think is very good as well. It's a defensible choice, but I would actually take Naldo. I'd like for him to at least be in the conversation, but he's not, which is disappointing. But on Pulisic, last week I had breakfast with Keith Costigan, who's a, a frequent commentating partner yep. of yours on the Europa Work League, yeah, uh, yep. new Cal FC coach, uh, yep. Eric Winaldo's old job, and, and just an all-around nice guy. Well, um, okay. <laughs> and we talked about Pulisic's future, and he said he thinks Pulisic needs to dominate this level first before he goes to the next one and uh, it was in the context of right. talking about Dembele and it might have been too soon for Dembele to leave Dortmund and go to Barcelona and he feels Pulisic might make the same mistake he'd like to see him dominate this level a little bit more are we to the point yet where you think uh, Pulisic is I don't know about dominated but like maxed out his potential at this level and is ready to make that jump or you'd like to see him stay a couple more years and develop his game to the point where he's scoring more goals and assists and, and a more impactful no, player because I want to see what this incredible talent who just happens to be American, looks like surrounded by equal or better talent. And I don't think there's enough of that, um, arguably, if at all, at Dortmund. So I, I, it depends where he goes. If it's a step up, and now when he's doing what he does and what he does well, he's doing it with players that are as good and some even better, I think he's going to look that much better because that, that, that infuses people, that that. that that's what you want. So no, I don't. I don't want to see him hanging around anymore. I mean, look. Even the other day, he did something. There was a ball that came over the top of his head in the air, and he maneuvered his body and understood the trajectory and did all the calculations in his mind. It wasn't going to shoot, and it's and it was just a, a throwaway type of play, except it showed his understanding of his body, his understanding of the, the mathematics and the geometry of, of the game to bring this thing down perfectly. And then, it, you know, he, he recirculated it at all. But he, he still does things in games that great players do. And so, yeah, I want, him to go, I want him to go someplace bigger and better. I don't want him to wait. I'm sorry, Keith. <laughs> all right, we'll end on this. The Premier League has voted against adopting VAR next season. Arsene Wenger not happy. He feels like this is going to put the Premier League behind uh, the rest of the other leagues that seem to all be adopting this. So where do you stand on all this? I think uh, they are on the offside of history, if you will. I, 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 don't, I don't quite understand it. And I'm sure they, that there are some that have legitimate reasons why they... Look, first off, it has nothing to do with money. Okay, we know that. But they have legitimate reasons, and they have already 
been very clear that they want everybody else to kind of try it out, and then they will come in when it's more when it's been refined and the the, the tweaks have been uh, done and and all the all the kinks have been worked out. But I, this is the way the sport's going, and you either evolve or you get left behind. And I think they're going to be left behind. And I think there's a there's an element of of standing on on principle and tradition and history. And I get that. I, I understand that. And there's, a, there's almost a pride of, no, we're not going to do that. That's not who we are. And they're going to, they're going to couch it in, you know, we believe in the, in the subjective nature of the game. And we recognize that these are human beings and they are fallible and there's going to be positives, uh, good calls and bad calls, and we accept all of that. So there's, there is going to be a noble type of framing of this but I just think they're going to get left behind, and eventually they're going to have to do it. The sooner you do it, the sooner you peel that Band-Aid off, the sooner it starts to heal and you come back stronger. So I, I, I just don't understand why this uh, – like, like Arsene Wenger, I completely agree with him. I think, it's, I think it's short-sighted, and I think it's being done probably for the wrong reasons. All right, that has been our back three. We come to the end of yet another – State of the Union podcast, and at the end of each and every podcast, I give you my one big thing. And it goes back to what we talked about at the top of the show, um, this incredible moment that the world has been talking about over the last week with this red card and penalty that Buffon received and his reaction to it in the moment and after. I think we all understand that Sports, maybe more so than anything, is about emotion, is about passion, whether you're playing it or whether you're watching it. And there are times where your emotions as a player and as a fan, as a coach, as a referee, where they get the better of you. And you do things that you might not regret. Some things that you might not even have control over. And part of being a, a, a professional is having control over your emotions. But I recognize and respect that it's difficult. Buffon, for me, is a legend. That is not going to change. He is going to go down as one of the greats of the game, for the goalkeeper that he is and for the man that he is. There is nothing that I enjoy more than watching Gigi Buffon sing the Italian national anthem. Because you want to talk about passion, you want to talk about pride, you want to talk about emotion— it is encapsulated in seeing him sing it at the top of his lungs. But, and it's a big but, he was wrong. And I think he needs to accept that he was wrong, recognize that he made a bad decision and unfortunately made it even worse. And not just for him, but I think for the sport, because he has come to represent the sport, and I, I believe that in his heart, he understands and loves this sport maybe more than any of us out there. He has the opportunity now for a teaching moment, for kids, for everybody, to say, you know what? What I did was wrong. And apologize and go on. And it doesn't mean that you can't be emotional. It doesn't mean you can't be passionate. It also doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes. And when someone like that makes a mistake, being able to own up to it, and say, I'm sorry, that for me is what legends do. And so I hope that that at some point gets done. It probably won't get done anytime soon, but at some point I think, I think it gets done. And I think in doing that, 
he lives up to that legendary status. So I hope to see that in the, in the future. All right, we've come to the end of yet another podcast. You can get a hold of us in a bunch of different ways, including on Twitter. David Mossy, what is your Twitter handle again? At Statman Mossy. At Statman Mossy. Now, you will respond to people if they uh, at you. Oh, absolutely. Okay, I don't know. I mean, maybe you're like that guy that doesn't... I'm not a crazy Twitter guy, okay. but if you send something smart enough, I'll get back to Something you. smart enough. You can get uh, me on Twitter, at Alexi Lawless. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, you can go through our Fox Soccer and our Fox Sports accounts uh, anyway. But use that Ask Alexi hashtag and let us know what you're thinking, whether you agree, whether you disagree, whether you have a question, anything out there. Uh, just a comment, not a problem. And as I said, we will try to get as many of those on the episodes coming up as we possibly can. I want to Thank you for tuning in, as always. We will see you again next week. World Cup's coming, friends. World Cup is coming, and it is coming fast, and I cannot wait. Until next week, have a wonderful week. Be safe, and as always, size the day.